Welcome to The Queen and Jersey, a special edition series by Bailiwick Podcasts. Time and technology worked in tandem to make Queen Elizabeth II Britain's most travelled monarch. Her Majesty was 96 years old when she died, having come to the throne in 1952, by far the oldest and longest serving royal Great Britain has ever known. When she was crowned, the winds of change were just beginning to blow and the last vestiges of the empire were giving way to a Commonwealth of Nations. In this new role as the head of the Commonwealth, she crisscrossed the globe. In the early part of her reign, she travelled as most of her predecessors had, by boat and train, but later advances in aviation, particularly the jet engine, revolutionised travel and shrunk the world, making visits to far-flung destinations more practical. However, this punishing, globe-trotting lifestyle did not come at the expense of tours closer to home. She came to Jersey on six occasions, more than any other monarch. While those visits to Jersey often had a common thread, state sittings, the homage of the seigneurs, cattle shows, unveiling monuments and opening buildings, and chances for the island's schoolchildren to meet her, there was also another common thread, a gradual informality as, over the years, stiff presentations and inspections gave way to more relaxed walkabouts. Since the sad news of the death of Her Majesty, Express has been looking back on each of those visits. In the previous episode, we travelled to 1949, when Her Majesty first visited the island, then as a young princess. Today, we delve into her first visit as Queen, in 1957. There was a break of eight years before the now Queen Elizabeth II visited Jersey again. Although the Jersey she visited was more vibrant than the post-war one she had come to in 1949, the island was still trying to find its feet. Locally, 1957 saw a series of foot-and-mouth outbreaks. Petrol rationing had just ended, and the states agreed to spend £210,000 on a hospital extension. The 1957 engagement was also the first time in just under a century that a reigning queen had come to the island. As with the 1949 visit, the couple travelled by sea, but this time aboard the Royal Yacht Britannia, a 421-foot ship with a crew of 21 officers and 250 royal yachtsmen, which had been commissioned three years earlier. Whilst the couple may have felt there was an element of Groundhog Day with the visit closely mirroring that of 1949, it did at least start differently. With state's permission, early on in the morning of the visit, Thursday 23rd of July, 74-year-old Frank Tock, together with a number of cadets from the Royal Channel Islands and St Helier Yacht Clubs, motored out to Britannia in a 120-year-old fishing boat and presented the officer commanding the royal yacht with milk, cream, lobsters, eggs, butter, honey and flowers to pass on to the Queen. Quite what she thought of the gifts was never revealed. Later, in time-honoured fashion, the couple stepped ashore at Albert Pier and were greeted by the bailiff Sir Alexander Coutanche and Lieutenant Governor Admiral Sir Graham Nicholson. The Queen was then given a magnificent bouquet by nine-year-old Melody Brown. Her father was a carpenter at the harbour and had built the platform the Queen was later to stand on. A Land Rover took the couple along the pier where they transferred to the Royal Daimler, which travelled slowly along the Esplanade, past West Park Pavilion, the People's Park and the Parade, to the Town Hall where they were introduced to the Constable. 
These were the days before the precinct, and the entourage was able to drive down King Street to the Royal Square. It was packed, and some people had apparently even climbed the statue of King George II to get a good vantage point. In a short ceremony in the States, the bailiff welcomed the Queen to the island in what he appreciated had already been a very busy year for her and had already included state visits to Portugal, France and Denmark. In reply, the Queen said, My husband and I have the happiest recollections of the warm welcome we received when we were last here. Since then, we have travelled widely in many lands and in distant parts of the Commonwealth. By reminding you that today I am outside the United Kingdom, but within the British Islands, I may best express the special and close relationship which binds us together. She also mentioned the deep anxiety and concern which her father had felt throughout the enemy occupation of the Channel Islands and how he rejoiced at the liberation. In a separate ceremony in the royal court, the island's seigneur, or lord of the manor, paid allegiance to the monarch, and, as tradition dictates, the seigneur of Trinity, Lieutenant Colonel John Riley, presented Her Majesty with two dead mallards on a silver salver. The Queen's final duty before leaving the Royal Square was to unveil the royal coat of arms which had been fashioned out of stone and had recently been inset above the state's members' entrance to the building. It commemorated the visit of her father, King George VI, and Queen Elizabeth to the island in 1945. Next stop was the headquarters of the Royal Jersey Agricultural and Horticultural Society, which at the time was at Springfield, now the island's premier football ground. There, the Queen inspected 50 local cattle, gave an award for best specimen on show, and was presented with Beauchamp Oxford Lady, a five-year-old pregnant cow. The expectant calf was, apparently, sired by one of Jersey's most promising young bulls. The Queen said the cows would be joining her herd at Windsor. Lunch was at West Park Pavilion, now West Park Luxury Flats. Amongst the great and the good there were also spaces for four members of the press. The long tables were laid out so that the Queen could look out the window to Britannia, moored in St Oban's Bay. Also directly in front of her, but inside the room, was a huge royal coat of arms, this time carved in butter. It weighed £195 and had taken the grand chef de cuisine, Rudolf Traufer, two months to make. After lunch, to calls of We Want the Queen from the gathered crowds outside, the Queen and Prince Philip appeared on the balcony. The couple waved and there were cheers and applause from those who had been patiently waiting to catch a glimpse of the royal visitors. Shortly before 2.30, the royal couple arrived at Victoria College. Head prefect Philip Lebrock read out the loyal address in the Great Hall, just as his father had in 1921 when the Queen's grandfather had visited the school. In reply, it was announced that the Queen had agreed to give students an extra four days holiday. At the Victoria Cottage Homes at the top of St Saviour's Hill, the Queen and Duke were introduced to couples celebrating their Diamond Jubilee wedding anniversaries. After this, there was a state's reception with 2,000 very smart and well-dressed guests on the lawns at Government House. Perhaps to show the couple a corner of the island they'd never seen before, or to balance up the 1949 visit... This time the duo toured the western half of the island, taking in Trinity, St John's, St Mary, St Juan's, St Peter and St Brillard. The final stop was Victoria Avenue, where 3,000 schoolchildren had massed and where Jersey College for Girls head girl Mary Ching presented Her Majesty with a bouquet and Angela Sear of Rouge Bouillon Girls School gave the loyal address. David Watton also gave the Queen a model of a 19th century jersey cutter, Eclipse, made by the boys of Holier School for Prince Charles, who was now nine years old. 
Valerie Le Goupy, presented the Queen with a doll dressed in traditional island costume for Charles's seven-year-old sister, Princess Anne. For some unexplained reason, while the boys of Victoria College had been given four days' holiday, the Queen only gave the island's other school children just one day's holiday. Nevertheless, the news was met with loud applause. The Queen's second visit to the island was over. Thank you for listening to The Queen and Jersey. This is an audio version of an article produced by Eric Blakely and the Bailiwick Express team, read by me, Fiona Potney. If you'd like to see the full version, you can click the link in this episode description. If you've enjoyed delving into this period in the island's history, please do like and share this podcast with others. And to keep up to date with all the latest coverage on how Jersey is paying tribute to Her Majesty the Queen, sign up to our free daily news email and download the Bailiwick Express app.